We're doing a series called Voices, and there's, there's really two reasons that we're doing this series. And one is to ask you the question, what voices are you listening to? What voices are you paying attention to in your life? And the second question, which might be a little bit more important actually, is this. What is the reason that you have given them the authority to set the course for your life? Because the voices you listen to set your thoughts and our thoughts set our actions and then our actions set the direction of our life. And so why are you given the authority to the voices that you choose to listen to? Today we're going to talk a little bit about Moses and then you're going to get to hear from someone who is absolutely going to bless your morning in your life. You know about Moses, he was, uh, he was a little guy that was a Hebrew boy that was born in Egypt and his mom was worried about him. So she put him in this little boat and set him adrift on the river. And Pharaoh's daughter came and found him and she thought, wow, he's just a cute little kid. I'm going to take him home and raise him as my own. Moses was raised in Pharaoh's palace as one of his own children. He was raised as royalty. Well, then we go a little bit later in his life and a lot of events happen. And Moses is the same guy that God comes to and says, hey, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt and you're going to bring my people home out of slavery. You're going, to, you're going to bring the people to their promised land. And they had some conversations that didn't always go so well for Moses. But before that happened, Moses had this encounter with God. So often that's what happens with us too is that we've got an encounter and the encounter that we didn't expect and we didn't plan for is the encounter that changes us. But that encounter set Moses up to be ready for the incredible task that God had for him ahead. See, what God asks is is our obedience. God asks our willingness. And then when we're willing to do that, He begins to strengthen and prepare us for the things that He set out for us to do that more often than not we could have never imagined when we would have never agreed to. Moses' story is uh, given to us in Exodus. I'm going to read a little bit from Exodus 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame out of the fire in the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Moses said, I'm going to turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush isn't burned. The Lord saw that he turned aside to see him. God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Moses said to him, here I am. God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the ground you are standing on is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses had no question that this was God. There's no way in the world that Moses could have understood this any other way. Because what intrigued him so much wasn't the fire. It was that the bush was on fire, but the bush wasn't being burned up. And he says, i got to go take a look at this. And God speaks to him. And Moses' response is simply, here I am. When God speaks to you, when you hear God's voice through another person, through His Word, through a message, through a Christian song, whatever it is, when you hear God's voice, do you say, here I am, or do you turn and run away and hope that He calls somebody else? When God speaks, do we even listen? See, God uses these unusual and unpleasant circumstances to get our attention, but then we have to decide how we're going to respond. See, this personal interaction that God had with Moses set the course for a lifetime of personal interaction between God and Moses. And it led Moses to a life he would have never imagined living. See, it turns out, though, that God tends to do things more than once. And there's a little bit of a history in Scripture of of God and fire. The Holy Spirit descended as tongues of fire. 
There was a time in the Old Testament when some of Daniel's friends, you know the guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to worship the king. They refused to worship the king's gods. And the king said, if you're going to continue to worship the God of Israel, then I'm going to do away with you. And he throws them in a furnace. And he heats the furnace up as hot as it can go. And they look in and they just see these guys walking around. And King Nebuchadnezzar himself says, there is a fourth in the fire with them. And he looks as though he's one of the gods. God has this thing with using fire to refine people and faith. And when God walks us through the flames, we're changed and our life becomes His story. This morning, I'm going to introduce you to a guy, if you don't already know him, who literally has been through the flames. He knew God before he went into the flames, but I believe he's going to share with us that his life has changed dramatically since he came out the other side of the flames. And so it is truly a privilege for me to introduce to you Brian Orston, who is a member of our congregation and also one of our two newest elders with he and Taylor Marcus. Brian, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you. Good morning. We'll maybe get to Eeyore later. I'm not sure. Um, but during the music, does it ever just strike you and overwhelm you that uh, the God who created so much beauty, the entire universe, actually wants a relationship with people that are full of messes like us? And isn't, doesn't that just take your breath away? That He longs for a relationship with you. So much so that He came to earth, was born a baby, grew up, and willingly went to the cross to lay down his life that we might have life if we accept him as a redeemer. I want you to... There's a word that we talked about in 5th and 6th grade on Wednesday night, um, and it's Shema. And I want you to, to think about that word. It's a Hebrew word, and it means listen. But it doesn't mean listen like we think of listen. It means listen and then do. Shema means you can't just hear it and then go on with your life. You need to react. You need to respond to what you hear. And it's my prayer today that that you would use Shema today. That you would hear what God has to say through my message and that you would respond to that. You know, there's lots of voices, and the voices that we know come from God would be His Word, the Bible. It's, it's true yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. Prayer. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. God Himself is inside of you. You can talk to Him anytime. He's always there. And the one thing that you can know when you hear, when thoughts enter your mind, and you go, is that God talking to me? The Holy Spirit will never contradict the Bible. So if the voices that you're hearing in your mind are contradicting the Bible, it's not from God then. And a third incredible gift that God has given us as followers of Christ is other 
followers of Christ, other siblings in Christ. And it's a, that's one of the gifts that we tend to not make use of. Um, you know, it's kind of like you get Christmas gifts, and there's special ones, and then there's scary ones, and you you hide. You hide. I, would you would you hide it in the back corner of your closet, in the dark corner, and never look at it again? And that's what we tend to do with each other. We don't. Uh, you know, it's hard to be vulnerable because we can hurt each other. But it's one of the gifts that God's given us. And to fully experience God and his gifts that he's given us, we need to be able to embrace that gift as well. And so as you uh, listen to my story today, um, I'll be coming back to all three of those things. God's word, prayer, and the gift of others. The gift of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, A little bit about who I am. I married my high school sweetheart, Ginny, um, in 1990. We dated for six years before we got married. Um, we've had 12 kids, one, one of whom is in heaven. And uh, the rest of them, most of them will be here for the second service, but one, one is here with his lovely bride. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so we've been... Married for almost 30 years now. Um, Before I get to the last couple of years of my life, I want to tell you about the most important day of my life. More important than the day I met my wonderful wife. More important than the day of any of my kids' births. Um, It's by far the most important day of my life, and... It was, uh, I was a 13-year-old, and I'd gone to, I I grew up in a Christian home. I heard the stories of the Bible. I could tell you virtually all of them. Um, I'd learned, memorized hundreds and hundreds of Bible verses. Um, But it was all up here. I didn't have a heart relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, one night, I was sleeping, And I can remember the thought, it was Proverbs 29, verse 1. He that hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And I can remember it going through my brain a few times. You know, I tossed and turned. I wanted to go back to sleep. It was in the middle of the night. Um, And it just wouldn't leave. And so finally I sat up. I said, what do you want, God? What, I mean, what's this about? And I, op- I grabbed my Bible and I opened it up and I started reading. You know, and I, I, knew, I knew how to be saved. I knew what you were supposed to do. Um, and I just kept going back over and over and over again. And finally, I just went, you know what? God, this probably isn't for me. I just, I, I don't understand. I, I know how I'm supposed to get saved. Um, it's just not for me. And I laid back down. And when I did, the thought entered my mind, Jesus died for me, Brian. I just went, you know, of course, of course you did. 
I don't have to do anything else. We don't have to do anything extra. There's no hoops to jump through to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. We just need to accept the free gift of salvation. And I did at that moment. And Jesus Christ became my Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit came to live within me. God himself, as a deposit, as a guarantee for my place in heaven. And tonight, at uh, night of worship, we're going to have baptisms. A year after I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I wanted the rest of the world to know that I was not who I used to be. I was a different person. And so I was baptized, not as part of salvation, but as part of proclaiming that Jesus Christ was my Savior and Lord. Now, we'll fast forward to uh, the summer of 2017. Our family decided to uh, host some kids from Ukraine. And so we, uh, six kids came over and they spent the summer with us. And when they went back home, some of our kids looked at us and went, we can't just let them leave and do nothing. They're part of our family. And so began our adoption story of uh, the three children that we eventually adopted. Um, In May of 2018, we'd finally done enough uh, legal work on this side of the world that we were able to travel to Ukraine to meet with the social ministry. Um, And so we went there at the beginning of May. It was supposed to be for a week. We ran into a bunch of problems, and so what was supposed to be a week ended up being three. And on uh, Sunday, May 20th, Ginny and I flew home uh, to Minnesota here. On Monday morning, May 21st, Johan, an employee of mine, called me up and asked me if I would mind stopping by his house later that day to see why his well, well wouldn't work. And I said, yeah, you know what, I can, I can check that out. Um, see if, you know, if we need a well person or if, if you need an electrician. Um, but I have a bunch of work to do, so... Uh, um, and he said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to be home in the afternoon, so... Um, I said, well, could you just leave your walkout basement door open for me in case you're not home? He said, yeah. And so I went about my day... Um, trying to do a bunch of work to catch up, um, being gone for so long. And about 3.30 in the afternoon, I was on my way home, and I was coming up to the driveway. You know, and I was anxious to get home. We had a little seven-year-old princess that uh, I hadn't seen in three weeks, except for an hour or so the night before. And then my other kids at home... um, and I'm, as I'm pulling up to turn into the driveway, I remember, oh, no, Johan's well. Okay. So instead of pulling in, I kept right on driving. And it was about 12, 12 miles away or so. Pulled into his driveway, pulled up by his garage, parked, 
It didn't look like anyone was home. Um, it was a cold day. It was right around 60 degrees. And so I reached back and I grabbed a sweatshirt out of the back seat of my truck and threw that on over my T-shirt. Um, got out, walked towards the, the walkout basement door, and I had to go past a 1,000-gallon propane tank. Everything was normal. I mean, there was nothing that stood out. Um, walked up to the, walked down the hill, walked up to the outside of the house where the door was. And unknown to me at the time, if this is the door, right alongside me was where the propane copper line came out of the ground and went up to a regulator and then went into the house. If the edge of the platform is the side of the house, about two feet back, someone had put a water fitting between two pieces of copper piping underneath the ground. And that had eventually come loose, and so propane was leaking out of the pipe. And propane is heavier than air. And so what it does is it follows the pipe and as soon as it gets to a spot where it can fall, it'll fall. And so the, the walkout basement had a root, a root cellar underneath it. And so that propane was falling into the root cellar beneath the basement. <clears throat> and it no longer smelled because it had gone through some dirt. And the mercaptan that people put in propane to make it smell leaches off into the dirt. And so when I opened the door and walked into the basement, walked past the furnace, went about 10 steps, 10, 15 steps to the back of the basement wall, opened a makeshift door, and then took a, went down into the root cellar. I had no idea that the root cellar was full of gas. There was no smell to warn me. I turned my light on, my flashlight on my phone on, and went down these old wooden steps that had logs. So there was a log, a board on top of it, and if you didn't step right, you'd wipe out. Um, and then there was a couple, there was just a makeshift dirt steps to get the rest of the way down. Got down on the main, onto the dirt floor. It was dry. There was nothing out of place. Um, I walked about, it was about 10, 12 feet to the back of the root cellar. And uh, in that back of the root corner of the root cellar was the propane, was not the propane, was the pressure tank and pressure switch for the well. I wanted to know if the pressure switch was working. So I walked over to it, and as I reached out to put my hand, just to balance myself on the pressure tank, I'm assuming that I wiggle it enough that the pressure switch kicked, kicked on. And when it kicked on, the well kicked on. But when the pressure switch kicks on, it has points, and they made contact, and there's a tiny spark. It happens every time. And in that instant, that spark as that happened, there was a explosion the size of a balloon. It was a purplish blue 
balloon flame. And I knew that something was horribly wrong. It's funny, if you've ever been in an accident or you've gone in the ditch, you know how time seems to slow down? Uh, This only took three seconds at the most. But it seemed like it drug on. In that moment where the explosion, that little explosion happened, and my heart knew that something was horribly wrong, it was like a huge vacuum sucked the air, and you could feel it, you could hear it. The air just sucked out of the room, and it was gathering energy for what was to come. And all of a sudden, there was just this huge percussion. I don't remember that. But there was because of a, um, it, it, it ended up blowing the, the wall out of the house. The, the plasterboard was all blown off the walls. Um, the, the floors above me all lifted. Uh, but in that same moment, there was a huge fireball. The entire room, root cellar, was one ball of fire. I no longer, I'm assuming that the percussion blew the phone out of my hand. And in that same moment, I cried out, out loud, Jesus saved me. It wasn't something I thought about. It was something that my heart knew because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I cried out, Jesus saved me, you know, my hands were in front of me. I never had time to close my eyes or or throw my hands up in front of me. My hands were out in front of me right where they were the whole time. And I watched my hands literally melt. The skin ran off like butter in a frying pan. But God heard my cry. And in that instant, when I said, Jesus, save me, he shut the fire off. It was just black. But I was alive. You know, and, and we, can, we can say, well, God, God, you know, I mean, why, why do you say God shut the, the, the flames off? Um, it could have been something else. No, the, the state fire investigator came back and he said, it doesn't make any sense. The propane was severed. It had plenty of fuel coming into the house. It should have burned to the ground with you in it. People don't usually survive something like this. What was God answering my prayer, my cry? And so I had to get out. And so I crawled up out. I got, uh, got outside and I headed to the truck because I needed to get to help. <clears throat> and I... I I got back to, I started driving to Benson, to the hospital. And as I drove, I thought about what do I need to do? Do I go straight to the hospital or do I go by home to let Jenny know that I'm still alive? Because as I started to back up, I looked up in the rearview mirror and all I, my eyes locked on were my black lips. I was burnt, I was black all around my eyebrows were gone. My eyelashes were gone. Um, 
it was just, uh, I looked away. I never, I didn't look at myself again because the, the real possibility that I was going to die was pretty obvious. Um, and so I decided to go home so that Ginny would know that I was alive. I didn't want a police car to pull up there and tell her that. She got me to the hospital. I spent a lot of time in recovery. And it was prayers, you know, before I was airlifted away from Benson, one of my daughters had put out a prayer plea. And hundreds of people began to pray for me. And I believe that those prayers protected me and healed me as well. Um, when they got me to HCMC, there was no lung damage. Even though my mouth was completely black, um, at the ER they had estimated that my mouth was at least 95% burnt. Um, you know, I, sh- I should have had severe lung damage. My eyes were... Uh, the, the, the concern for the eye doctors at HCMC was that there was a potential that I could suffer blindness or at least um, retina damage. And uh, after a week of examining my eyes, there was no damage at all. My eyes stayed open during that entire thing. And yet God preserved my eyes. God preserved my lungs. And so, um, you know, through all of that, And through the, the horrors of recovery, because if, if, if you've ever known somebody that's been burnt, um, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to go through. But, but it's a... Uh, um, uh, and I wish that I had, <laughs> I wish I had an hour to share with you. I didn't think I wanted an hour, but I wish I did because I skimmed over a lot of stuff. But the reason I've skimmed over a lot of stuff is because there's something even more important that I want to share with you. And that is... So you have debriding to heal to help your skin heal, because my my skin was all gone, my hands were completely exposed, the burning was down into my bones, um, and so to help you heal, they have to debride. And when they released me from the hospital, because I was no longer a critical care patient, um, that fell to my wife to debride my hands for the next six to eight weeks. And so, uh, my sister had get, spent the night at the hospital, and so by 9 a.m. we were on the road home. My wife had the joy of my hand debriding and cleaning over the next eight weeks without the drugs. It would take me six-plus hours every day to get enough courage to let her touch my hands. My hands were finally completely covered in the middle of August. They still tear really easy. 
but I was on large doses of gabapentin that helped control the pain but gave me brain fog that turned me into a zombie. At my doctor appointment in August, I asked if gabapentin would have any long-term effects because I was really concerned about how it was messing with my brain. Um, I couldn't function. The doctor said, no, it wouldn't. I'd be fine when I was done with it. My fog brain heard that I could quit if I wanted to. And so, in October, I quit my drugs cold turkey just as my wife left for Ukraine to bring our kids home. Um, We thought it'd be a three-week process to bring our kids home. It ended up being a five-month process. I would really like to end my story right here and say that we lived happily ever after, but that would be a lie. As followers of Christ, God has given us incredible gifts to use, not to put in a dark closet and ignore. He's given us the Bible. doesn't do us any good if we don't read it. We need to meditate on it. We need to think about it. The Bible will never lie to you. If you're like me and your brain doesn't work well enough to focus, we have audio Bibles all the time we can listen to on our smartphones. I spend hours every day doing that. Prayer. We get to talk to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us if we're a follower of Christ. What an incredible blessing that is. And the third gift is siblings in Christ. And we ignore this one so much. Um, And it's true, people can hurt us. But it's a gift that God's given us. And we really do need to take advantage of it. Within a couple of days of my wife leaving and going through drug withdrawal that I didn't realize because of my brain fog, I began to descend into utter darkness filled with overwhelming anxiety. As my body struggled against addiction, I quickly lost my ability to sleep. And I would literally struggle to even get one hour of sleep a night, which fed into my darkness. Day after day, As I cried out to God and listened to hours of Bible audio, I continued to sink deeper and deeper into the black hole within myself. I would beg God, where are you? Why have you left me? It became a fight to just take a breath, let alone anything else. Within a few weeks, the mental pain became so unbearable that I struggled for each breath, and I began to look for escape, anything to get away from the horror of my mind. For weeks, it was more likely that I wouldn't be alive in the morning than I would be. That's a hard thing to admit. Each time I approached death, the Holy Spirit would speak something into my thoughts that would still my hand. By the grace of God, I survived to slowly come out of that black hole. You're probably thinking to yourself, wow. You were really in God's word and talking continually to God, and that still happened? Yeah, because I ignored the other valuable gift that God gave us, each other. He has given us, each other, as Christ followers, to pray for each other, love each other, carry each other. But we can't do that if we refuse to open up and become vulnerable. We have prayer warriors. We have a prayer ministry here. 
And if they'd stand up, uh, if you don't know someone that uh, you can trust or you can reach out to, these are a number of the people that you can. They'll, uh, they'll pray for you. They'll come alongside you. They'll love on you, encourage you. Um, and these are just a handful of them. They're, they're all over the place. But they can't if you don't take that chance, if you don't become vulnerable and reach out. Thank you. Um, you know, I think we all know how hard it is to admit to anyone that I think I'm going crazy. I can't breathe. I hurt so incredibly bad. I want to die. That's incredible vulnerability to admit. And it wasn't until I admitted it to my wife, to some degree, when she came home for a week in December, and she reached out for others to come alongside us, that I finally wasn't in constant danger anymore. Does it really work to be open and vulnerable with siblings in Christ? along with talking to God and reading his promises? Yeah, it does. I still struggle, but now I reach out quickly to my siblings in Christ so they can pray for me and encourage me. We need each other. We need their prayers to overcome the liar who whispers constant lies into our minds to gain a foothold. If you're struggling, I understand how hard it is to reach out and to trust. Do it anyhow. It's a gift that God's given us. He's given us each other. And it's very important. I wish that I had another hour to share with you. But uh, I'm going to close with this. You know, I know that there's some of you that are struggling really hard. And you feel all alone. You say, yeah, you know what? God, Jesus, Jesus was God. I mean, how, he, how can he possibly understand how bad it hurts, how alone I feel, how hard it is? In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, the Mount of Olives before Jesus was crucified. The verse reads, Jesus prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. <laughs> you know, I was in incredible, incredible turmoil, incredible stress, incredible anxiety. I can't even begin to describe it. And yet I wasn't that far where, my, where I sweated blood. I mean, Jesus was God. He didn't have to die for you. He didn't look forward to it, the pain, the agony, the separation. But he did it anyhow because he wants a relationship with you. You can trust him. And I hope and pray that even if you've been hurt by others, who call themselves, who name themselves followers of Christ, that you will trust God and reach out again and become vulnerable to other followers of Christ 
to walk alongside you in this road, this journey as we're headed towards home. Thank you.